The Lord be with you. Well, I would say Merry Christmas to you, but you've already heard that twice this morning. So I just greet you in a Christmas spirit. Um, For those of you I have not had the privilege to meet yet, my name is Tanner White. I am born and raised here in Tampa, Florida, and I was actually baptized in this baptismal font uh, 27 and a half years ago by my grandfather, who is an uh, ordained elder in the United Methodist Church in North Alabama for 65 years. Uh, I returned to Hyde Park about six years ago and started discerning a call to ministry where I was supported and mentored by people like Jim Harnish and Bernie Leaving and Justin LaRosa, who remains my mentor in the candidacy process. Uh, since I was last with you, I have now completed a year and a half of my three years in seminary at Emory University's Candler School of Theology in Atlanta. So I'm in school full-time, and as part of my educational requirements and the blessing of serving in ministry, I work as a student chaplain at Gwinnett Medical Center, which is a hospital in Lawrenceville, about 30 minutes outside of uh, the middle of Atlanta. And so I work there five hours a week with a cohort of my peers, and when I'm not in school or preparing for classes or working as a chaplain, I work full-time as a recruiter, and I've done that for three years, and I love all that I do. It's a lot, but it's all good. It's all good. So that's for those of you who I did not know. For those of you who are here, again, this is my third year preaching on this seminary on Sunday, and it's an honor to be here. Uh, You'll be glad to note that I have taken a preaching course since the last time I was here. So thank you for your support in that, and you're welcome uh, for hopefully that will bear good fruit this morning. Uh, As I reflected back on last year's message, I realized that the mystery of Christmas was one that we held and tried to just appreciate last year, as we do all years. But for me, it was a discovery of holding the mystery of Christ and of God's saving power in the form of a baby. It blows my mind. It's truly a mystery beyond all understanding. And as I studied continuously last year and up until this year, I have come to a new understanding of preaching while that is definitely part of my core belief that we hold mystery with reverence and we don't know everything. What I've come to see preaching as is more of a journey than just proclaiming something that happens as a result of preparation. It's really about taking people along a journey with you. And so as I prepared to preach today, I was keeping you in mind, obviously, And I want to take you on that journey with me as what it was like to encounter this story anew. So as we continue to do so, let us transition back into the proclamation of the word by going to God in prayer. Good God, help. Show us your Holy Spirit. Open our hearts, our minds, our ears, and our eyes so that we may faithfully serve you and be those that you've called us to be. In your many and precious names we pray. Amen. So those of you that had heard the story, the scripture read so wonderfully, by the way, you notice that it ended with some words that may sound familiar, that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with people. Well, after the verses that came before that, I'm glad that Jesus grew up. I mean, a 12-year-old boy staying behind in Jerusalem His parents, leaving him for three days, not knowing where their kid was. And this is not just any kid. 
This is the Christ child, the one whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Gone. Lost. I was amazed when I read this story because I realized that this one story in Luke's gospel is the only time that we hear about Jesus in his childhood. Matthew, Mark, and John all skip over all the stories of Jesus' childhood, and they go from the birth of Jesus, presentation in the temple, straight to Jesus' public ministry at 30 years of age. So I was confused. Why would Luke include any story about Jesus' childhood? And secondly, why would he include this story of all stories? I was comforted at first when I started to realize that what Luke was doing was very common as a literary technique in his day. Many historians would refer to people who came before Jesus, big monumental figures in history like King David or Solomon or even philosophers or emperors as people who in their youth showed great promise for what was to come. So Luke, in telling this story about Jesus as a youth, was tapping into the people that he was talking to in his day. And he was saying, you know, when people do this, we're about to talk about something big. So listen up. Listen in closely. So that made sense to me, why Luke would show Jesus as a child having great promise for future impact. But I was still wondering, if that was the case, why wouldn't Luke just say that people were amazed? Why would he show Jesus as staying behind, defying his parents even, staying behind in Jerusalem, and then showing Mary and Joseph as leaving their child behind for three days? That didn't quite make sense to me. So I looked at it in the context of, of Luke's gospel, and I, I tried to see what meaning this actually has for us. And so I left the text and thought about it for a while, and I'm thinking, okay, I've got to preach. And these people need to hear something that they can do, something they can practically take away from this. So I prayed and then went back to the story again. And as I did, I just went line by line and tried to think, what does this mean? What relevance does this have? And so that's what I did. Started with the first line, with Luke talking about Mary and Joseph, how every year they went up and they upheld their tradition, their faithful practice of going to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover in the temple. That's an honorable thing to do. Should we not also participate in our religious rituals in our community? That's a good thing to do. But then, even though Mary and Joseph are practicing the norms and doing what God would have them do, life happens. And things go drastically wrong very quickly. But even then, Mary and Joseph do something that we can learn from. The story says that they looked to their friends and to their relatives to find help in finding what they were looking for which is also a good thing to do. It's a blessing. I can tell you, and you know this, 
it's a blessing to have a supporting network of care of people that love you and that pray for you and that can help you when you feel lost. That's a good thing to do. But even then, after Mary and Joseph have upheld the laws, they've looked to their family and friends for support, they have to go beyond that. The story says that Mary and Joseph were a day's journey outside of Jerusalem. Now, that's an important point to note. Because this was taking a great risk for them to leave what the text says is a band of travelers, to leave their large cohort of people that they were in to go back to Jerusalem on their own. You all may remember the famous story in Luke's Gospel of the Good Samaritan about how Jesus tells a man of a, of a man that went on the road to Jericho and that on his way was beaten, robbed, and left for dead. This is a similar journey that Mary and Joseph are about to take outside of the safety of the group. This is a great risk. And I think we can emulate Mary and Joseph in that. We could go beyond our comfort zone to find what we truly see that our hearts are longing for. It's a good thing to do. And then they search high and low and are looking everywhere for Jesus. And they find him in the least expected place. For a 12-year-old boy in Jerusalem to be in the temple. He'd been lost for three days. Maybe you, like I, have searched for things high and low, whether it's a pair of glasses on your head or some deep truth and you realize it's it's been there all along is that not also true of life that we find what God is doing in some of the least expected places this is true in the story and this is true for us and then we see that when they do find Jesus that Jesus doesn't do what we might expect Jesus to do after being gone for three days one might expect that he could be remorseful. Oh, man, you know, don't you know your father and I have been worried sick over you? He doesn't say, I'm sorry. No remorse, no apologies. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? These were words that were not expected at least for me. So when we find things in unexpected places and we also hear things we didn't expect to hear, it's true of life. And Jesus, the model, there he is, other than being a bit of an obnoxious preteen, is there in the temple, sitting among his teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And the text says that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and people. Surely I would say that if we can learn from Jesus to do these things, listen, ask questions, learn, that we too would grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and people. So, to cue you back into the journey... I went from thinking that there was no message in this story to getting a historical context to getting more meaning than one could preach in ten sermons. 
And then I was thinking, you know, there's got to be something more. The reason why Luke is telling this story, not just some moral exhortation that I could give to you, but what is Luke really trying to say here? And I went back to that interaction between Mary and Jesus. Those defiant words from Jesus at 12 years old. Mary saying, did you not know that your father and I, that Joseph and I, were worried sick searching for you? And Jesus saying, did you not know that I had to be in my father's household? What I hear Jesus doing is not just making moral exhortations, and I don't think Luke is just trying to get us to emulate everybody in Scripture, like leaving behind a child or, or defying your parents. I think there's something more than that, right? And this interaction in the context of Luke's gospel made a whole lot more sense when I saw it as this. This is the first time that we hear Jesus claiming for himself that he is the Son of God. You see, all before this in Luke's gospel, we've heard everybody else talk about who Jesus is or who Jesus will be. The angel Gabriel says, this, this is the Son of God. You are going to give birth to God's child. It's the same is true to Elizabeth and to Zechariah, to Simeon and to Anna, to Mary, to Joseph, everybody else, the shepherds, they're all, this is the Son of God. But when Mary comes up against that, Joseph and I, your parents, no, 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 my father, I have to be in my father's house. This is a critical moment, and we see this play out in the next two chapters of Luke at Jesus' baptism when the heavens are ripped open, and John the Baptist sees the Spirit descending like a dove and a voice crying out from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus goes into the temple and starts to preach. And the people that saw Jesus and thought they knew who he was said, isn't this Mary and Joseph's son? Isn't this Mary and Joseph's boy that's doing all this? And immediately after that, in Luke's gospel, we see a man who's possessed by a demon running up to Jesus saying, I know who you are. You are the Son of God. And I think that's where we come back to in this passage. Jesus being a child, yes, he was a great figure of great promise. But more than that, far more than that, he was the Son of God. Now, what does that really mean for us? When I went back and read the same story through the lens of Jesus claiming his identity... I realize that the call to action for me, the call to faith, as I read this story, was for me to be like Jesus, for us to claim our identity in God. As God does through the church and through baptism, claiming us as God's own. We then can come to claim God as our divine parent our guide, our great giver of life. And this is what allows us to do the rest. It's what allows us to practice our faith and to search within our network of friends and go beyond them 
and listen and learn and ask questions, when we realize that we are beloved children of God, as Jesus claimed for himself in this passage, it's natural for us to go and do likewise. Amen? Amen.